You're listening to the Roanoke Valley Church Podcast. Today's sermon is lesson number eight from our Treasuring God series, entitled Treasuring the Cross. We don't like difficulty or hardship. We prefer to skip the tough stuff and get the results. Suffering for following Jesus is often unwelcome and unsettling. We love the idea of being saved from our sin and enjoying the victory that Christ brought via the cross. Before Jesus went to the cross, however, he showed us how to live. That way was loaded with expectation to deny ourselves and carry our cross daily. This sermon appeals to us to treasure not only the victory the cross brings, but the formative hardships and sufferings we experience following Jesus. Listen in to learn more. We invite you to visit us at RoanokeValleyChurch.org and on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Church, for more ways you can be a part of all that God is doing in the Roanoke Valley. And now, enjoy today's sermon. Good morning, church. Great to be together. Great to see so many of your faces. And uh, it's great to be able to worship our God. Amen. I do want to give a special shout out right up here to the front to the Joneses family. Christina's family's in town visiting from uh, from Norfolk, Virginia. And it's great to see you all again. It's not Norfolk. It's Norfolk. You can say Norfolk. But Norfolk. Yeah. Keep moving. All right. Moving along. Amen. Great. Uh, We have been going through a series called Treasuring God, and uh, today we are going to be treasuring the cross and what that means for us. Uh, We've done a number of things, treasuring creation, treasuring the shepherd, treasuring hope, treasuring vulnerability. We've looked at a number of those things, but today is treasuring the cross. You know, the cross is a treasure, but the question is, do you treasure it? In the cross, we think about a number of things, right? We instantly, as a As Westerners and Christians who proclaim to be a Christian, you know the end of the story, right? You know that Jesus ultimately was killed for us, for our sins, on the cross. We know that that is a place of victory. That's a a place of triumph over sin and evil. It's the place in which we have peace. It's the place where we can, can garner hope from when we're in difficulty and suffering. But the treasure that when, when we look at scripture initially, as Jesus brings his disciples through his mission, his ministry, and ultimately through his death and resurrection, the disciples never at one point saw the cross as something to treasure. If Jesus said, you need to treasure the cross, they would have looked at him like, you're crazy, because they knew what the cross meant. And many of us have grown up going to church, and maybe your grandmother or guardian or grandfather gave you a little cross necklace. And uh, necklaces or pictures or statues or something in your home that that signifies. Some of you guys, no show of hands, but some of you all have tattoos with the cross. You would never find anybody in the first century with any of those things in their homes, around their necks, definitely not on their bodies. No shame to you. We know what it means now. But then it was not an object to be treasured. It was an object to be avoided at all costs. It was the very epitome of shame. It was the very epitome of darkness and evil. The, the Persians created it. The Romans perfected it. It was a way to kill someone in the longest, most excruciating way arguably known to man. There were three ways in which you could be crucified for just cause. If you were a criminal in such a way that you were a murderer or a revolutionary, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. So you're a terrorist in the eyes of the Romans to be crucified. These are, the we- these are the reasons why people were crucified in the first century. You know, I was down at Radford University 
uh, yesterday, or actually Friday afternoon, and we had a, our, our, our fair, our club fair event. And it's a great time for us as a campus ministry to go out there and meet all the freshmen that are trying to figure out what in the world they want to be a part of and what they want to do. And it's a great time to meet a ton of people, a lot of fun. So we're out there, you know, giving away Starbursts and candy and popsicles, and we're playing spike ball and other things just to kind of, you know, garner up some uh, attention. And I met a guy, and we started to talk, and uh, what attracted me to him in the sense, what, it, what made me think, I want to talk to this guy, is he had a cross necklace around his neck. And I was like, hey, excuse me, man, we're going around, we're meeting people, and we're trying to ask if anyone, if they have any type of faith. And if you'd be interested in learning more about Jesus and deepening in your relationship with God, or even having some of your questions answered from God's word. And I thought, well, this is, this is a guarantee, right? He's got a cross necklace around his neck. And he goes, no, nah, I don't believe in God. And I was like, I, this, we had kind of ch chummed it up a little bit by this point. I was like, dude, you're wearing a cross necklace. He's like, oh, no, it's just fashion. And I thought, this is a great point for my sermon tomorrow or Sunday. <laughs> and no knocks on him, no knocks on him. But the reality is that was me. I had a, I had a cross necklace. I had a cross necklace in 7th, 8th grade, ninth grade, and those are the, some of the darkest years of my life. Not in depression or anxiety, but in drinking and messing around with girls and exploring in that way. That, that's the year I got confirmed in my church. So again, the hypocrisy was just oozing out for me, right? None of us are free of hypocrisy, or this isn't a knock on, on that kid. Uh, we, we ended our conversation. I gave him a, an invitation. I said, hey, you know, all jokes aside, there, there's a lot. There's a lot to that. If you're, more, if you're interested any day, we're here. This is our ministry. Love to have you come hang out and learn more about all of that. But it can be a fashion statement. It can be something that's a highlight of our lineage. Or, oh, yeah, how many people? We even say, ah, it's just how I grew up. You know, I was a Christian household, and I grew up. And we grew up kind of treasuring the cross. But many of us, as we looked into Scripture deeply, and as we're going to do this morning, we might have been treasuring something totally different than what God is actually calling us to treasure. So today we're going to delve into a little bit about what it really means to treasure the cross and how Jesus brought his disciples from a place of that's the worst place on earth to what a privilege it is to actually carry that cross. And any of us who are disciples or Christians, we really do need to be in a place where we treasure the cross. One, as we already know that Jesus died there for our sins. And it is a symbol, it is a recognition, it is a victory party on the cross. And we'll celebrate that later this, this morning as we take communion together. But there's another part of the cross that I tend to avoid. And I tend to not treasure. And I want to invite and appeal, all of, uh, appeal to you this morning to begin or to renew that part of the cross. And beginning to treasure that again. As I said, the cross was meant for punishment. It was meant for suffering. It was meant for death. It was the most excruciatingly painful, shameful way to die. As Westerners, we don't understand as well as our brothers and sisters of the, in the East the, the notion and idea of shame. Many of our cultures in the East are shame cultures. In the West, we're, we're, we are familiar with shame, but it's usually shame of our own doing. And there's, there's some of that we miss. But the cross, as Jesus says, or actually Paul, the author of Hebrews says, scorning its shame, Hebrews 12, with the joy set before him, scorn the shame of the cross. The shame of the cross is a part that I don't always understand. But Jesus did. 
Such a shameful way to die. This is no cute fashion statement. Flip over to Luke chapter 9. I invite you to that section of text. Again, when Jesus first brought up the idea of the cross to his disciples, they knew everything I just shared with you. They had seen only a handful of years before that marked their childhood in a nearby town about 20 20 miles away from where Jesus spoke in Galilee, northern Galilee, a a town called Sephoris. Some of you may have heard me speak about this or someone else speak about this before. But this Sephoris was a armory of of the Romans who had at this point occupied Israel, Jerusalem for quite some time. And Sephoris was a place of kind of a flex of the Roman, Roman occupancy. And the best and the brightest male Jews came together and said, you know what? We're going to follow our ancestors like Judas Maccabeus who uh, went after the Seleucian government, all that kind of stuff. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to take over the Romans. We're going to give them some of their own medicine. And the best and the brightest got together and they stormed this armory. And they had early success, but the Romans run deep. So the Romans were sent and overpowered all these men. And the Romans thought, let's not kill them all. Let's send a message. So these men, these, the brightest, the strongest, the bravest, the ones you look at and say, that's the hope, that's the future of our people. These were the men, the, the, these were the men that the Romans crucified in rows as deep as five, five deep off of the main road. So for us, it'd be like I-81 or, or 460 or 220 or 460 or 419. You're right there on your commute to work, which was not in your electric car or wherever it might be. It was by foot, four or five rows deep, a tall cross and a low cross. A low cross was eye level to the average man. So we're going to say about 5'5". Five, five. That makes me above average. <clears throat> That's right. You all said, I agree, right? I agree. Marcus is back there like 6'3", like, whatever, bro. Let's see. But can you imagine your uncles, your brothers, your heroes being crucified along the main drag of your commute to work? It was a human billboard sent by the Romans saying, if you mess with us, this is what's going to happen to you. And they were pierced through their ankles and through their wrists. And some of you may know the medical... Uh, medical research that's been done in the crucifixion of Jesus. This is a drag them out death. This is brutal. Most of the men who were actually killed or eventually how they died on the cross was not by, by the nails in their wrists and feet, but by wild animals that picked them apart in the middle of the night, by crows that came and gouged out their eyes. This was a brutal, brutal way to die. And as Jesus spoke here in Luke chapter 9, starting here in verse <clears throat> 23, actually, excuse me, 21, says there, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone, talking about Peter declaring him as the Messiah. So, okay, you think I'm the Messiah, the Lord. Okay, here we go. He says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So he's no, he's, he's guiding them to this final victory, that my death will result in a resurrection, will result in life. So as Christians, we said, that's right. We know that part. Suffering for a little bit, but the end, this is going to end, remember a couple weeks ago, this is going to end very, 
very well. And we know that. But the disciples here, we've got to put ourselves in their, in their sandals and to hear the Messiah that they just declared is going to be killed. We know that they weren't looking at the Messiah to be this man who would sacrifice for them. They were looking for a mighty warrior to come in on a steed and as, as their uncles and older brothers and ancestors had did, they're going to storm in and kick out the Romans. We know this. So the word death or be killed was never in their vocabulary outside of a sacrificial death on the battle to kill Romans. Jesus goes on to say to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death because before they or will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Jesus says the word in verse 23, take up their cross. As soon as they hear cross, all those memories come to the forefront of their minds. They're not thinking my necklace. <laughs> They're not thinking prayers in the living room on the t with the cross on the mantle. They're not thinking grandma's crocheted pillow. They're not thinking any of those thoughts that maybe you and I did, and I surely did. You know, I thought, we've talked about this and taught about this here at the church many times, that when you hear the word take up your cross, you ask, you ask 10 people at your job tomorrow, what does it mean, what do you think it means to take up your cross? Yeah, no shame. This is exactly what I said. I was asked this question when I was 19 years old. What does it mean, do you think, to take up your cross? And I instantly thought about something that's difficult for me to endure. And it was very lame, by the way. Maybe a nagging mom, who at that point was the only person that paged me. That's my cross to bear. That she wants to know wherever I, she always wants to know where I am. So I get the number five on my pager that says call home. That's, that's what meant, call home. Mom, if you're watching, thank you. Maybe it's an overbearing boss. Maybe it's arthritis or, or whatever. And that was kind of my response. I said in college, oh, you know what? Taking my cross, what my cross means is just enduring through this terrible computer science class at 8 a.m. in the morning every single Monday Wednesday and Friday. This is my cross to bear. I must endure this. And I want you to think about what you think about when you hear, take up your cross daily. What does that mean? To them, Jesus says, okay, this, to them they say this, if I take up my cross daily, it means that I am marching, walking painfully to my execution. And that somehow I've lived in such a way to garner that punishment. That somehow someone in this world, notably the Romans, would see my life in such a way that this would be my penalty. You're asking me, clearly, not to be a murderer, not to be a thief, but Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, you need to be a revolutionary. 
you need to be an insurrectionist in the eyes of some. You need to stir it up. Now, what does he say? We're going we're gonna to do a military insurrection, just like our boy Judas back in the day. He's not saying that. He's not saying, you know what, down with the Romans. Here I am. This is on a spiritual level. A war that had been waging for, from the beginning of time. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, it's time to treasure that fight. It's time to treasure that realm where you're participating in a spiritual resurrection, a spiritual, excuse me, spiritual revolution. A lot of us, love, I, I love war movies. I love FBI movies. Some of you guys like NCIS and, you know, back in the day it was uh, Law and Order. Dun, dun. You guys, some of you guys have that as your ringtone. Like you, we all love that stuff. Like, ooh, that, and we love this, the, the digging and the prodding and the mystery and the, all that kind of stuff of, of being engaged in a, in a worthwhile fight. The truth is, many of us, that's as far as it goes. We're engaged in some fictitious or some, some media-driven war. And we all wonder, in our heart of hearts, if it came down to me having to be engaged in that, would I have what it takes? Whenever I watch Band of Brothers or Saving Private Ryan or all the war movies that I grew up watching with my pop, those are the questions that hit me in my soul. That if, if that were me, how would I respond? Would I cower in fear? Would I start spewing out excuses? Would I say, oh, you know what? They didn't have contacts invented back then, so I'd be a real, you know, even with glasses, as good as they were back in the 40s, I probably wouldn't have been a very good candidate for a soldier. So, you know what? I would, yeah, I'd go. I'd be, you know, some linguist or something like that, which they send those guys to war anyway. But anyway, I start kind of sifting away why, you know, I'd be fine, I'd be fine. But Jesus is throwing out this very, very simple truth. That if you want to follow me, there's no choice. You're a revolutionary. You're in the army now. If you follow me. And that's not how I understood what it meant to treasure the cross. To me, treasure the cross started with thank you, God, and ended with thank you, God. It was a victory party, and there was no suffering. Jesus did all the suffering, so I don't have to. And now my life is just filled with one victory after the other, and I can follow Jesus and thank him for what he's done. And now that I have God kind of in my back pocket, my life just goes from one victory to the other. Thank you, God. Anyone else, anyone else thought about that? Like that's, that's kind of how we saw Christianity was a thank you, God, for all you did, and now my life is set, set up for success. And when that doesn't happen, how do we feel? Where are you, God? What's up with this? I thought this was going to get better. And we wrestle with all of those things. And I'll talk about that a little bit more. But Jesus, as an introduction to following him, cuts right through all of that and says, to take up your cross daily means to treasure it, to treasure all of the cross not just the victory, church, but the process. The process in which the cross brought all of our lives. We love the victory. I don't like the stuff that preceded it. We all have the idioms in our culture. No pain, no gain, right? We love that. You know, many of us are, want to gain weight or lose weight. I, I'd venture to say we're probably on the lose weight side. I don't know if there's anybody who wants to gain weight. Anybody want to gain? Oh, Paul, no. 
See, I got to make sure I'm clear about what I'm saying up here. But I remember uh, it was 2015, and I saw a picture of myself, and I was like, gone. look like a little teenager. Like my arms, I, again, I haven't lifted in three years, so if you're like, doesn't look like anything's changed, uh, I've, I have stopped working out, so I'm, I've regressed back to the mean. But I remember seeing a picture of myself in 2015, and I was like, if it wasn't for the beard, I'd look like someone's little brother. And maybe even my wife's little brother. Like, that's kind of how I look like. And I was like, man, how much do I weigh? And I weighed myself, and I was like 147. And I was like, some of you guys are like, oh, that's nice. That'd be great. But for me, in my insecurities and ego and generally narcissistic, I was like, you know what? I need to, I need to lift. I need to get back. I need to get back in the gym. And I'd weighed probably like about 150 or so, 155 in college, and I was lifting. I was feeling good about myself. And then I was like, look at me, man. I'm like, I can't be, I can't be this guy. My hair was starting to thin. I feared like being the short, bald, fat guy. I was like, it's looking like this is the trajectory of my life right now. Be fat, bald, and skinny. Or in a sense, you know, here and then nothing else. So I was like, well, I can't control my hair loss, but I can control my weight. So I went after it with a vengeance. And I lifted and I took uh, protein shakes and amino acids and uh, a little bit of creatine and some things like that to gain weight. And it was two, two years that I got, my goal was to get to 180, which is crazy, by the way. And 180, I hit it at 2017. Two years later, I was at 180. I was the least amount of body percent fat of my entire life. And I had pictures on Facebook that people were commenting about me on. Like, dude, you look ripped. And I was like, yes, I've done it. It's all about people, again, not healthy. But I remember the first time going into Planet Fitness. Yes, it's a real gym, barely. But I remember going into Planet Fitness for the first time. And uh, there's always, there's always and always will be guys that are bigger than me, more strong, you name it. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, this is, this is what I need to do. And looking at websites and trying to get a good routine, but it was painful. It was painful not to be able to lift much at all, right next to people that seemed like they were lifting themselves out of the gym. In the sense that even afterwards, how it felt to kind of just not be able to do much and be like, I used to be able to lift more than this. And it's just this pain over and over and over again of honestly not being as strong as I wanted to be or thought I was. But you keep after it and then you get the gains and you're like, ooh, I see the results. And then you get to your goal and you're like, it was worth it. But there are so many times, you know how this goes. There were so many times like, I'm not doing it. I'm done. I'm not going in today. I don't feel like it. This is not worth it. I don't see the results I want to see. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. We love the results, but we don't like the process. It could be lost with weight gain. It could be discipline with spiritual disciplines. You name it. It could be anything you're working on. And I want to ask you, what are you working on? What are you working on this morning? Anything. I'm not even talking about spiritual things. Like, what do you, What's something that you are working at right now? And it's difficult. And if you don't have anything right now, well, let's go back a little bit. When was something, what was something you did that you had to work for? It was hard, but you pushed through and you saw the result. 
I know college tuition and college diploma is a little sore subject right now for some of us. Um, but I remember when I pushed through college and I walked across that stage and I shook the hand, I got a fake diploma, which I thought was my diploma. I was like, dope. And I walked across and I couldn't wait to get to my seat to open it. And all it was, was a form on how I can give back to the university. I was like, what kind of, <laughs> I was so mad. But there was some, you know, taking pictures with my parents and taking pictures with my grandparents and all those kind of things like, yes, it was worth it. There were so many nights in college where I was like, this is dumb. What am I doing this for? This is a waste of money. I, I'm wasting my life. It's never gonna end. Ah, and then you finish. Maybe that was that way for high school. Or maybe it's just every day at your job, like, when is this going to end? And you just push through, and then you come home, you're like, ah, you know, it's great to be able to have a job and finish the job, whatever it might be. But what was that for you? Or what is that for you? And some of those truths and some of those principles do inform us about who we are and may, and, and may enlighten us as to how we approach treasuring or not treasuring the cross. This is a crazy proposition. To, to treasure something as crazy as the cross. That somehow, perhaps, we can get to a place where we treasure the very thing that actually causes, that is kind of the, the image of suffering and process to life. Jesus says there in Luke 9, as we read, that the Son of Man will be betrayed, killed, but in, thir in three days will be raised to life. The cross for him meant this is the process for which life will be given. And he invites the disciples, anyone who wants to be a disciple, to follow him in those footsteps. To walk down a path that will lead to real life, to true life. But the walk in the path along the way to real life is going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be filled with suffering. It's going to be excruciating at points. You're going to feel alone at points. You're going to be on your own at points. You're going to look around and say, is this worth it at points? You're going to doubt at points. You're going to see other people give up. You're going to see other people say, you know what? I love the idea of victory, but I don't like walking in this way. I'm out. I wanted to be a Navy SEAL until I saw a video about what the Navy SEALs went through. And how they sat there in the cold water, arm in arm, with white water washing over their mouths and a drill instructor shouting at them, you can ring the bell, which was the symbol of I'm done. You can ring it, but if you ring it, you deny yourself and all of us. It's a little bit of manipulation there. But anyway, I was like, nope, not interested anymore. I was angry at my parents one day. I was 18. I was kind of kicking around whether or not I was going to go to college or not. I was like, you know what, I'm going to go join the Marine Corps. I've shared this story before. Dumb decision. Went in there, not just Marine Corps, but for me. I went in there and I spoke to a drill instructor. I had all the glory ideas of like, yeah, I'm going to be tough. And some of the stuff I, handful of years, same the same ego and bravado. Like, I'm going to get ripped and tough and da, da, da. And I spoke to the, the drill instructor, or to the uh, recruiter. He told me about the process. And I was like, thank you for your time. And I walked out and said, Dad, love you, man. I'm sorry. This is great. Appreciate everything that I got going on here. So there's a sense of like, oh, this imagery of what it could be like. But you know what? I don't like this. Not happening. I love skipping over the hard parts. I wish following Jesus was full of a process of just one great 
story of news after the other. No concerns, no problems, no hardships, no suffering. Jesus says from the jump, church, you want to be my disciple? Let's walk the road towards real life. But this road is narrow. It's full of suffering. It's full of self-denial. It's full of the very thing that the world will say, this is crazy. You're dumb. You look like you're losing the game of life. This is backwards. This is upside down. Why do you do that? Why aren't you doing this and that and that which looks like life? That's what Jesus has invited us to. If you've said Jesus is Lord, you said, I'm walking with you down that path. I'm on that path. I am on the path of self-denial. I am on the path of carrying my cross. Not the one that I have arthritis and I'm carrying my cross, but I'm on the cross of being a revolutionary, a spiritual revolutionary that sticks out in this world because we follow a Jesus who showed us that way. The cross equals victory, but it also equals suffering. How in the world do we get to a place where we can treasure that process? How many of us love suffering? How many of us love the process? In the gym, at your job, diploma, none of us really love it. And if you do, you're kind of a masochist. I love pain, like you're weird. None of us really, really do in our core of course. The disciples in Matthew 27, you can write this down for time's sake, but Matthew 27, 38 through 44, this is where Jesus is on the cross, dying for us. The disciples had heard multiple times that this was going to be the way to life. And when Jesus spoke this to his disciples, you know what Peter said? Never, Lord, never. He didn't understand. Suffering Messiah, no way, never, never is this the way to life. Never will this be the way to victory. And Jesus tells him face, face to face, get behind me, Satan. To deny Jesus of this path, to introduce an idea of victory, not first being dealt with through suffering, preposterous. And this is our Jesus, whom we follow, who has called us to live the same way. To have victory in this world without suffering, as Christ did, preposterous. To not live a life where we are denying ourselves out of our love and adoration for Jesus, thinking that we can create, as Peter did, kind of create a new idea as to what it means to follow Jesus, is ludicrous. And if I'm honest, there have been so many times in my life, almost 20 years of following Jesus, where I've had conversations with Jesus just like Peter. No, not like this. I'm a disciple. No, 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 no. This isn't supposed to happen like this. It's not supposed to be this hard. People, people are supposed to just become Christians and stay Christians. People aren't ever supposed to walk away from this. It's not supposed to be this hard. You're not supposed to meet people and pour your guts into them. And then they say, nah, it's not for me. You're like, oh, and you feel that. Never is when you have family, your own flesh and blood, become Christians and then walk away for something that's, that you've experienced and they've experienced and they know it's nothing but they do it anyway. It's not supposed to be this hard where you make decisions to honor Christ with your purity. And it seems to just get you all your prospects 
for dating and marriage are out the window. Purity is hard for our singles and young professionals who want to be married, yet you strive down the line of righteousness to say no to impurity, to turn down all the cat calls at work or all the media stuff that comes your way to say, you know what, I'm not going to compromise who I date. I'm not going to compromise who I give my affection to. I'm not going to chase after a worldly relationship. I'm going to wait for what God has in store through a path of righteousness. You share that to your friends around the coffee table, they'll say, Yuri, what are you talking about? Or if they really like you, they'll say, well, Johnny's a good guy. And, da, 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 da. and they'll try to introduce a new idea. And it's those moments where we start to feel the reality of who we follow. Some of us have made decisions to, to not pursue certain work opportunities because it would take you away from righteous living. It would take you away from the devotion you have to following Jesus. And to your colleague, colleagues, say, you worked so hard for this. Why wouldn't you? You're the man for the job. You're the woman for the job. This is, what, this is the pinnacle of our profession right now, and you're not pursuing that? What are you, nuts? For what? Jesus, church, community, fellowship, what? You can get that anywhere. Can you? You guys are making decisions to deny yourself every day. Even the internal struggles, which I believe are even more important, what you're on the inside will eventually come out. Some of you guys see music, see music now, right? Not just hear music, but you see music come on the television. You're like, nope, not righteous. Shows come out that your coworkers are like, yo, did you see Game of Thrones yet? Have you watched the new prequel to Game of Thrones? That, that series is filled with nudity, filled with unrighteousness, filled with garbage. And your coworkers are like, that's awesome. You should watch it. You're like, no, not, not going to watch it. And even if they don't give any flack, I feel a sense of loss. Like, dude, there's something in our culture right now that people are stoked for, amped, and I'm not going to see it. FOMO, feel like I'm missing out, or some series that's going on, you know, whatever it may be. You're like, no, 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 not watching it. It's those little things that you might feel like, that's ah, no big deal, but those are, that's part of it. What you watch, what you listen to, how you spend your time. You know, Greg talked about contribution and, and giving, giving to a purpose to really help others become Christians. And there's been times in my heart, I give too. I'm a beneficiary of it. Thank you, God. Thank you, church. There's times where in my heart, can I be honest? I've been honest up to this point. I'll just keep being honest, but really honest. There's been times where I've looked at my contribution and I've added up what I give in a year and how many down payments on a Toyota Tundra I could have done instead. I love trucks. There's times where I'm like, you know what? If I didn't give for one year, I'd be set for that truck. And that's probably why that dude... And sometimes other words come in my mind. That loser probably has that truck because he's paying $500 a month in his giving. I do more than that for something else, and I could afford that if I wasn't so righteous, giving to my church instead. Garbage? Those are some of the thoughts I have. And some of you have been in that spot where you're like, you know what? I want to give God my first fruits. I'm going to give God, you know what? I've got bills to pay. I've got struggles. Inflation's off the wall. There's other things happening. Your taxes didn't come back the way you wanted to it. You know what? 
I'm not going to give. I'm not going to give so that I can have this. And maybe it's just comfort, the lack of stress. And you say, no, 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 no. Comfort's not all that it's cracked up to be. I'm going to do what's right in God's eyes. I'm going to give anyway. You didn't talk about that at work. You didn't come into church this Sunday and say, guess what I did? But God knows. And those are the decisions, small decisions we make every single day that tell us we do treasure the cross. We do treasure the path of ultimate victory. So I ask you to consider both the decisions you've made to treasure the cross and know about those, that God celebrates those. But then also to be challenged to say, okay, what are the decisions that I've made or have, uh, that I need to make to be on this path of treasuring the cross? Not just the victory of it, but all aspects of the cross. Jesus was beaten, mocked, spat on, pierced for our wounds. He cried out in Matthew 27, 46, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew that the path of treasuring the cross wasn't easy. He wasn't a robot. He wasn't like, this is awesome, bring it on. He said, God, you've forsaken me. Treasuring the cross also means that you're going to suffer and you can speak plainly to our God. You can speak honestly about the struggle and God will not shake or wag his finger at you. He will remind and embrace you. He will point to what will come. He will still your hearts. He is near to the brokenhearted. If you're struggling with this idea of maybe becoming a disciple or maybe you've strayed from this path, God says, you know what? I understand the wandering. I understand the straying. I understand the hesitation. But is it worth it to forfeit your very soul so that you can gain this world? Is it worth it? We ask that question. In the midst of the struggle, is it worth it? Is it worth it? A lot, discipleship is a lot like running hills. There's a lot of false peaks in following Jesus. Anybody a runner? Me either. This isn't my story, this is somebody else's story. False peaks, or you're running up a hill and it looks like you've reached the top. Only to get to the top, and there's another one. And then you're like, oh, just a little bit longer, and you get to that one, <clears throat> and there's another one. You're like, when's this going to end? And it's discouraging. It's depressing. It's hard to run up that hill and think you've, you've reached it, you've finished it, and then there's another one. That's been a lot of what the last 20 years <clears throat> has been like for me. And I believe for you too. You're running. You're carrying your cross. Woo, this is tough. Tough season. Tough week. Tough day. Tough whatever. Okay, we got through it. Thank you. Oh my gosh, again? I thought I was tenured in Christ. I thought I was past all the sufferings. I thought I was past the hardship part. I'm ready for the gifts. I'm ready for the blessings. I'm ready for the victory. And God says, no, 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 no. Not yet. We're on our way. One more hill. Ten more hills. It may not feel like it's worth it. Why have you forsaken me? No, no, no. But it will be worth it. It will be worth it. You have to wonder why so many times in God's word, God's people have to be reminded to persevere. 
where the Bible says that those who persevere to the end will receive a crown. Persevering to the end is like running those hills, trusting that this life here is not what's meant to be gained, but eternal life is what's meant to be gained. Growing pains are good. My son is 12 years old. He's complaining now of his thighs hurting in the middle of the night. He's like, oh, my legs hurt. And I know those are growing pains. Like, you're growing, boy. You're becoming a man. Yes. You feel that. It's good. It's good. It's good. My dad told me the same thing. I didn't grow nearly as much as my son's going to, and my pains were probably much less than his. But I hated that. When he told me, yeah, it's growing pains, I'm like, make it stop. (laughs) It's good. It means you're growing. If you're going through difficulty because you treasure the cross, I'm not saying you need to become, woohoo, bring it on. But I pray that your mentality, your mindset, your heart can change to embrace that, that this is part of growth. This is part of the path. This is part of the way to victory. But I challenge those of us who are comfortable, that if you're comfortable, you're unhealthy. Comfort foods are bad for a reason. You stay comfortable too long with your mac and cheese and your gummy bears, all 10 fingers coming at me, your comfort foods, you stay comfortable for too long, it'll kill you. It'll kill your face. Cinnamon Toast Crunch, that was last Sunday, yep. Had a bowl this morning. It'll kill you. It'll kill your faith. It'll kill your hope. It'll kill your passion. It'll kill your walk with Christ. Other things will begin to look more worth it. But we'll be duped by the comfort. The disciples are much like us as we wrap up and get prepared for communion. We need all the reminders we can get. Jesus tells them, this is the path, die, and I will be raised to life again. This is the way for the real life. And the disciples needed all the reminding in the world. In John 11, they saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. In Luke 7, they saw the widow's son in name raised from the dead. In Luke 8, they saw Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. They all saw the miracles, yet they all wanted to avoid suffering when Jesus was betrayed. They all ran for the hills. They all departed Jesus just like that. But they saw God's victory. They saw the signs of victory, but they ran. Can anybody relate to that? As Christians, we know the victory. We're going to celebrate it right now. We know the victory, but when suffering comes, we can run. But I pray that our hearts and our minds here, as the disciples eventually get to, they get from running to celebrating that they were worthy of suffering in the name. That they rejoice in participating in the sufferings of Christ. Not the common suffering of sin, but the sufferings of Christ. Learning not to be ashamed, not to run away, not to avoid the hard things. The best feeling in the world, I believe, that I cannot wait for, is when I hear, well done, good and faithful servant. However that looks, however that's going to be, crossing the finish line, feels great and it's my prayer that as a church we recognize that that's the victory we're going for not comfort not x job not x amount of money not x recognition or x amount of pounds or muscles or lack thereof we're going after something much greater and jesus is calling us 
to treasure that process. We treasure the victory. God wants us to treasure all of the cross. So as we go into communion, I want to help you reflect on how do you plan on treasuring the cross this week? Do you see the complete picture of the cross treasuring both suffering and victory? What will it look like this week for you to answer the call to treasure the cross? We can learn from Jesus to treasure the hope of the victory and treasure the process of the suffering. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, God, we come before you this morning. God, this is a tough one. The idea of treasuring the cross, knowing what it meant, what it meant for you, what it meant for the disciples, and what it means for us is difficult to embrace. It's a life of hardship. It's a life of self-denial. It's a life of radical purpose, too. But God, that radical purpose in you often brings isolation, brings questions, brings disenchantment sometimes, it brings outright rejection at other points. It doesn't feel like victory. And God, we embrace that you've won over, the, over death, you have victory over the grave, you have victory over all of our sins, and we know that and we treasure that this morning. But God, we're not with you in fullness yet. So there is a road, there are hills and peaks that you are walking with us, running with us through. We pray, God, as a church, as a people, as a body, that we embrace the fullness of treasuring the cross. That you would give us encouragement and strength and conviction and faith to approach difficulty and suffering, knowing that victory is up ahead. We thank you for forming us in your image through the suffering. Help us to move and encourage each other in that way as we celebrate communion together as a body. The fullness of treasuring the cross. We ask all this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. Be sure to check back every Sunday for new sermons listed right here. Subscribe to us on YouTube and like us on Facebook to stay in touch with all that God is doing in the Roanoke Valley Church. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.